0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 511c3 nonprofit organization that essentially supports people who are navigating herpes stigma and learning to communicate around sexuality and sexual health. I am here with our guest today, Mark. And Mark, what are your pronouns? He, him, his, all right. So, um, I had you fill in this uh, guest survey, and a couple of things that I'll just go ahead and say off the top of my head correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I have a very good short term memory. Yeah, 31 years old, male, he, him, his pronouns, heterosexual. You are sex positive, you are a member of the kink and BDSM community, um, and the beginner stage. Uh, You were not given many resources after you received your HSV-1 genital and oral herpes diagnosis. And then uh, now I'm trying to remember what the last question was. (laughs) Nope, it's all right. (laughs) I have it on paper, which is great. Um, So that's kind of an overview of the flow of this conversation. Um, This podcast episode is going to be part of the uh, 12 episode series exclusively focused on the state of Oregon and people who have had experience with an STI who live in Oregon currently, uh, just to kind of get a feel for the the climate and not like this is who's getting an STI. But these are the qualitative experiences that people are having around their STI diagnosis. And I'm hoping to be able to use these 12 episodes as sort of um, information that will allow for us to integrate this information into an intervention program to support people in or to support the medical field in their STD prevention efforts. One of the things that we advocate for here at Something Positive for Positive People is anti-stigmatizing, sex-positive, identity-affirming health care. And I think that this is going to be the roadmap Demonstrating how we get to that place with our healthcare providers So thank you for being here, especially with the lack of clarity that I have on what this is going to look like Like I said, we're just building it uh, as we go So um, yeah, let's begin with, uh, let's start with your herpes diagnosis and like what we're What was happening around then? What were your first symptoms?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'd say my herpes diagnosis is probably a little bit different than a lot of people's. Um, I contracted HSV-1 generally generally and orally in Israel. Uh, So I was not in the United States, which was really difficult. Um, There are healthcare resources there, but they're not ones that... You know a place like oregon would have or maybe even the united states so i was pretty much in the dark for the six other months i was living there um you know re- felt really isolated didn't really know what to do i mean i had the internet but you know that's that's only so much right and you know without the resources that i found today i was you know i, I didn't know what to do so i just kind of you know, went along with it until I knew I was going to be back in the United States. Um, I did a lot of just testing with general physicians. Um, Like I knew I had herpes, right? Like I had a really bad outbreak uh, generally and orally at the same time. And then it kind of continued for those six months. Um, Went to a family uh, practitioner, you know, they did the testing as I think a lot of people have and negative, 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 right? General blood test, swab, all these things. but. I mean, what else? It couldn't have been anything else, right? So finally, um, I got in touch. You say genital blood test? What you... Oh, sorry, not general blood test. Just like, right. oh, sorry, <laughs> general general blood test. Right. Yeah, no, 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 Oh god. <laughs> I, was uh, I, pictured, I was like, the, did they? I would. I wouldn't have cared that much to even figure it out. I've been like, you know, what, I have it. Like, I'm not. You know, keep the needle to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, general blood testing. Okay. Uh, and so I found an infectious disease specialist. He was actually considered the number. So I'm from Indiana. Uh, so all this was being done I'm in from India. the Midwest too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. from uh, Missouri. Missouri, right? Yeah, cool. So as you know, uh, there are very little resources uh, in the Midwest, and you know, similarly with sex education, I, you know, it barely existed, if anything. So finally got in touch with this guy. There's this test, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's done in like two places in the United States. One of the places is University of Washington. I can't think of the test name off the top of my head, but it's like the like end all be all. Like it will test if you have heard. Is of you it. Is it called Western
0: blot? or igg igm (sighs) and there's another one i think it's the one that you're talking
1: about yeah and i can't remember the name of it but they're like this is the one right like if you test negative for this you definitely don't have it came back tested positive right like the thing i knew all along that people were telling me no and you know you just have to keep going with the process and so finally um that gave me i guess as much closure as one can get um with this and um, yeah, I guess that's kind of my, uh, initial experience with how I, you know, found out I had herpes. When you found out, did you have
0: an idea of how you may have been exposed? Oh, absolutely. Okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. So, uh, been, you know, I was in Israel for a month at the time. Um, I was on a program, um, and I had a friend in a different program and we had met up, uh, and I had partied with his friends Um, Received oral sex from a girl at that party. And then two, three days later, hello, you know, new experience. So uh, and honestly, I didn't know you could get herpes from oral sex. That was complete. And and I'm sure you meet a lot of people who are in the same boat. I was completely confused. I will say that you're the first person who comes to mind. Uh,
0: I've spoken to a lot of people But I don't think anyone who's been able to just say I only got oral sex From someone who gets cold sores And now I have genital HSV on my genitals Like this narrative I'm so happy to finally like have a story Behind this because That is more common I think more more people will receive oral sex And then have sex and then say I got it from sex but in
1: this case You only got oral sex From this person Okay You know, which is really interesting because it's one of those things that people don't know, right? And for me, it's actually I'm a lot more concerned with giving someone oral at this point than I am having sex because it's so much easier to protect against, with a condom, sex and have those safer sex practices than oral where, you know, you have a dental dam, but, I mean, let's be honest, like, those aren't really fun for anyone. (laughs) You know... I used one
0: and we we stopped using it. She was yeah. like, "Do you want me to put a condom on your yeah. dick?" I was like, ah. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I was like, "Well, we're just playing with this. Let's just try it out." Uh-huh. <laughs> the first time I, I, so I've actually only used one once. I had been dating someone for probably four or five months at the time. We still hadn't had um, sex without a condom, and we started using this dental dams. She's like, "Fuck it, like, let's, go, you know, like, we're not, we're not doing this. Like, it's over. We're, we're taking, or you, know, wheel, train wheels off." Let me say this. So I think that
0: dental dams and condomed blowjobs are good for. If this is, like, a first-time hookup with someone uh, that you may not see again, if it's a one-night stand, yeah. absolutely. But, like, for people who've been in long-term relationships and, you know, you've you're seeing someone that you have trust with and rapport with, then that may lower your willingness <laughs> to use these things but I have to like my affirmation is I love condoms I love, yeah. condoms. I love condoms because it's so easy to fall yeah. into that trap of not using them yeah. and then when you have to go back to using them you're like yeah. but I can't get off from a condom yep. uh. so yeah don't, don't <laughs> I had to say that because otherwise I would not be doing my job <laughs> um, True. Um were you able to did you like reconnect with this person after you received your
1: diagnosis uh no oh. no it was like a one night like like didn't, y'all didn't, didn't get a number, number. nothing oh. yeah nothing just like <laughs> i mean it was like in a parking lot it was a whole you know it was what it like i i don't want to say like i deserve this but like you know if there's an experience in my life where it was like where we did it how it happened the the fallout like all right like i'll, I'll accept it you know
0: yeah. yeah no i i appreciate you saying that too how long ago was this 2014 Okay, oh, okay, good, because you speak to it, like, very calmly, confidently now, um, for sure. What's that journey been like for you, dating afterwards? Was there, like, a pause? Did you go right into it?
1: For sure, a pause, right? Um, I, I didn't have the resources, right? And, you know, following people like you or uh, Trisha, right, from Safe, Safe Slut, yeah. um, you know, you. I wish I had people like that back then, because... To me, I'm just this infectious person who, you know, I, I found positive singles and there's all those weird, I don't want to call them weird, but those Facebook groups, you know? We can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, those, those weird Facebook <laughs> groups. And you, man, the the like shame spiral that those people give you, and not, not positive singles, but like the, the Facebook ones, like, oh, like we can only have sex with each other. Like, yo, no, absolutely not. Um, and so I think I kind of got into that for a while, you know, had sex with people from positive singles. Um, that's a whole, you know, anyone who's been on there, you know, has their... I'm, I'm one of those people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm
1: still, like, I still
0: have the app. Well, no, I mean, like, and here's, there's a few things about that, like, it's very heteromonogamy mm-hmm. normalized driven in the sense that the women are on there to find their husbands yep. the men are on there and recognize oh wait I can still hook up oh yeah oh, oh. and it's like an exploration of options one of the options obstacles that i found on positive singles was distance anyone who i was interested in was far away Mm -hmm. i done flew to new york i done drove to indiana (laughs) (laughs) traveled uh all kinds of places just because of um the the uh, wanting to have sex i was about to try and make that sound good there was no way there was no way to play that but um I think that this is an excellent placeholder for realizing that you are still going to run into the same issues that you would run into dating, whether you have herpes or not, because the incompatibility of distance and then you start to learn what you do and don't like and you see yourself beginning to tolerate things that may not even be things that you will have tolerated had it not been for your herpes diagnosis, right? So this has been like my experience exclusively to uh, Positive Singles and then we can go into the support groups right after that. But I wanna hear
1: from you, like if that mirrors your experience or if it's a little bit different at all. The first person I hooked up from Positive Singles was a two hour drive in Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, dude, you like hit it on the nail, right? Like I don't, I've lived in, I had lived in Indiana my whole life. I had never heard of this city. She was living on some like, Far, you know those like uh farmer things people do after college or like at you know 18 when they're just trying to get out and like do you know she was living on one of those in somewheresville indiana she drove down i drove up and then after like i was like you know what like i enjoy sex but there's only so far i'm willing to, to yes go for this. yes um and speaking
0: to the support groups um you said there's kind of like the shame spiral I learned very early There there are different types of support groups And I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here So jump in At any point in time yeah. There are the oh my God, I have herpes. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Support groups, you find yourself in this place, you post and you're like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I'm newly diagnosed. And then you see more people sort of trying to one up your experience and being like, oh, I was diagnosed with herpes and my husband, my ex-husband gave it to me. Uh, Or I don't know where I got it from. I got it the first time I had it. Like, you'll see that. People just sort of taking that as an opportunity to just vent. And then you'll see that a person who may start there, there's like this whole process that you go through from... Your diagnosis, you find the support groups, you recognize like, oh, wow, there are other people out here who look like me, who are lawyers, doctors, pharmacists, um, cashiers, like whatever occupation you can think of, different body types, skin colors, income levels, uh, political views, religions. Anyone can get herpes. And when you see that in these support groups, it's very encouraging And then you really quickly start to get discouraged. And you don't really realize why right away. You just sort of are like, oh, something's weird. And you realize that it is the fact that there is that what you call shame spiral. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what that's described as. So that's one tier of the support groups. And then there's like the place that you can go and you can get information where people are sharing resources. And then you'll see like there are people... um, the entertainment, the social media influencers aren't really allowed in these spaces, and I think that that's something that also perpetuates stigma. Uh, you won't see people from TikTok, you won't see people from who have podcasts, me included. Um, people would share my podcast as a resource in some of these support groups, and the post would get deleted. Um, I, early on, started to share, hey, These are stories that are being shared. Here's what someone said. I think this is powerful. And it would be removed because it was spam. So I really argue with the intention of some of these support groups that exist. The one that I feel that I've gotten the most value out of has been the social support groups. These are ones where there are events that are created and tailored around. Organizing and getting people together for a weekend long event all over the country um, to do things like zip lining, uh, themed parties, socializing, mixers. um, And then like these are places where you can go, you can network, you can make friends, you can hook up, you can find your potential love interest. Um, But again, ups and downs to everything. Right. With this same thought process you have people who are looking forward to these quarterly events only to be able to have that release and then kind of going too hard or you know just a lot of the themes are around alcohol so for someone who's sober or for someone who may be in a relationship a monogamous relationship you may not see that value because it is very um hookup culture driven as well so there there's so many tiers and layers to the different support groups. It's really a matter of identifying what it is that you want and need, and then being able to go into any of these spaces with intention. And it's hard to get to that place until you get there. And then you're there and you're excited. And then you're like, Oh, I'm not really excited anymore. Why is that? And then you're like, Oh, I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. This doesn't align with what I was hoping to get out of this. Anything you want to add to that at all?
1: No, I mean, I've seen those. Uh, I totally agree with the the groups, right? I mean, that's definitely the line is uh, it, it's the woe is me. It's the this is I can only have sex with people who have herpes for the rest of my life. And you you believe that. And then I've seen the parties and I that's never really interested me because I uh, I look at the people going and I'm like, you know, this isn't this isn't for me. Um, and it's just I, I'm glad I got out of that or figured out that that's not the right path when I did, um, because it If you get stuck there and maybe people do maybe people don't it it's going to make your life a lot harder Mm. Yeah,
0: and you're you're less incentivized to really date outside of that space and your options are so limited but you feel like there's an abundance in those spaces in a way because so many people are showing up at these events, right? Um, I want to move on because I don't want to make this about the support groups. Uh, I want this to be more about your experience. So you Have not tested positive for another STI since your herpes diagnosis in 2014. That's correct. All right. So I did a 1,148 people survey, and this really stood out to me. Um, and I want to go a little bit deeper here into what your experience has been, what your safer sex practices used to be, what they've turned into, because 70, mm, I forget the exact number, 72, 78 are the two percentages that come to mind. That many people who have received one STI diagnosis have not gone on to test positive for another STI. And I think that that's going to be a reoccurring theme. The CDC says that if you test positive for one STI, you're more likely to test positive for another one. And I I disagree. Like, now I have the stats to be able to combat that. And I have a very, I have varying hypotheses. I don't even know how to plurally say that. I can hypothesize (laughs) why that may be. But I'd like to hear from you, you know, since your herpes diagnosis, like what happened for you? Is it that you're just more careful? Have you always been cautious about um, using barriers, getting tested, communication? Um, I'll, I'll leave it open ended there and then we'll just carry the conversation from there.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was kind of a late bloomer to, uh, sexuality probably started, you know, more in college having sexual experiences. Um, and you know, was pretty safe with condoms, but I mean, I think a lot of pretty ta- safe. What do you mean? Well, yeah. yeah. So, I uh, you know, I'm kind of going there. Right. Uh, I'm drinking a lot in college, right? Most of my sexual experiences are based around alcohol. I put a condom on, I can't get up, right? Like, it's, it's an issue. And so half the time it's like, hey, do you mind if I take this off? And, you know, other person's like, sure, yeah, I don't care. That's not something I would do today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sex for the sake of sex um, to pull a condom off. I, I, I would feel bad about that now back then like i didn't think about it right like i hadn't had the education at this point i still don't know you can get herpes from oral sex right all, all these things um so i would say condom use was sporadic um the number of times i fully used a condom with someone was probably less than 50 percent uh was like 50 yeah, yeah, yeah no 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 that's that'd be quite a bit uh no less less than 50 percent um and now yeah definitely um you know, want to make sure that I'm using a condom when I can. When people are like, no, it's fine, after I've told them about it, I'm like, well, this is a red flag for me. Um, because you are not educating yourself or thinking about the outcomes here for your long term, right? And you're aware that this is just casual or whatever it is, and you, you know this, and yet you're willing to put yourself in this, I don't want to say harm's way, but Something that's that's life affecting, right? Yeah. My question to you is: Were
0: you more concerned about pregnancy than STIs? Ten thousand yeah. percent, right? Like
1: it was. It wasn't even a question. Like I remember saying some really stupid shit in college, being like, you know, this person being like, "Oh yeah, I'm not on birth control." I'm like, "Well, if I accidentally come, like, would you get an abortion?" Like mid-sex, and I'm like, looking back, I'm like, "Dude, what was I? What was I thinking? Why was I saying this?" But like, yeah, that's the only thing going through my head is like. I am not trying to have a kid right now. Like, I don't want to deal with the fallout there. Yeah, that was the only thought.
0: Me and NuvaRings were best friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, loved,
1: I loved the Nuva Ring, Um,
0: because it just added that extra layer of yep. safety for me. And again, like safety being pregnancy, not STIs. I don't know about what your sex education was, but I remember mine being, it was implied that If someone had an STD was the language that was used at that time, you would be able to smell it. You would be able to see it or it would be so uncomfortable that the other person wouldn't want to have sex at all. And I believed that. So my concern was pregnancy. If someone wants to have sex Mm -hmm. with me, I don't want to get you pregnant. So here's here's how we're going to do that. Are you on birth control? I have a condom, too. Right. So what was your experience with I guess, learning
1: about STIs. You know, I've thought about this before, and I thought about it again before I came over here. And, you know, in Indiana, I don't know that I ever had any type of sex education. It's possible looking back, but, you know, like similar... PE class. Yeah, and it was, you know, there were, you know, obviously rumors similar to, you know, rumors. Like, all you know, this person got in the shower on the toilet seat, and you're like, oh, my God, right? Uh, I I was thinking back, and I think the only thing I could think of was... I, in elementary school and this wasn't even like STI based. It was, you know, this this guy came up and I'm sure it was religious based. I, you know, it's hard to think back at that point. I understood less about like, so I'm Jewish. I understood less about like, you know, Christian people trying to, in the Midwest, trying to impose their values even though it's like public school, right? This guy went up there and was talking about how like, you know, this story of this woman who was sleeping around with everyone, you know, eventually gets the end of it. And like, he was talking about how, you know, she saw the light and then they got married and she's reformed herself, right? This is the closest to anything sex education I can think of in my childhood. And I mean, just think about that. That's, that's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. And
0: speaking to that, a lot of the sex education that we don't receive in our youth, We're unfortunately forced to receive an adulthood, and that's if we find ourselves in the right spaces, around the right people, having the structured kind of communication that is necessary to have in order to have safer and more pleasurable sexual experiences. My next question to you is... um, how have you gone on to self-educate yourself um in regards to sex education because like you just said looking back on it you know some of the shit that you did you were like ah why'd I say that or why'd I think like that yeah right so what were some of the resources or what were some of the lessons that you had to learn in order to acquire this ongoing education that you didn't receive
1: Yeah, um, you know, I was looking at YouTube and I was, people who were more knowledgeable about this than me, you know, Instagram wasn't as much of a thing back then. So finding those types of resources um, and, you know, slowly you build up this knowledge base. You know, there's a lot of different things people say about herpes, right? It's, you can only imagine, right? So it's taking the things from everyone and kind of not forming your own facts, but getting to like the safest way you can use the facts that they're telling you. To you know have sex moving forward, and something that you know is really interesting uh, with all this and i, I don 't think I would have thought of when trying to do this research, which was for myself, was every time I share these facts or most of the time I share these facts with people because we're going we 're talking about you know having sex at some point they 're like wow that's I really appreciate that you 're so knowledgeable about this. Uh, it makes me feel really comfortable that you know all this and you 're sharing this with me right and, and that 's crazy right it's, it, it was for me. But the people who hear this, you know, because it was for me because I didn't want to pass it on to anyone, right? But people respect so much that I have this knowledge because I've I've tried to educate myself.
0: It's a little bit concerning to me that we as the people who have obtained the knowledge are sometimes the first people to give others that experience of being in the presence of someone who is knowledgeable and willing to have a conversation about safer sex practices is that like that's that's scary yeah and so much of the conversation in my experience has not exclusively been about sex so much of it has been around consent around boundaries around Um, Dr. Evelyn Dacker, who is one of my board members, talks about the STARS talk, uh, turn-ons, avoids relationship intentions and safety. Um, These are things that are not exclusively related to talking about sex, but how much value we could have received as youth who are learning about sex and sexuality how much did we lose out on by not having these things be incorporated into our sex education like playing games at recess you know we're establishing rules we're negotiating and this is something that the kink and bdsm community does very well is negotiate play so you know for some reason society can't seem to look at kink and bdsm negotiations and look at youth playing at recess as sort of the same thing you're communicating right so one of the things that i've learned throughout the last five years of my research is that healthcare professional society does not want to associate children with herpes so hsv1 orally contracted primarily at childhood is cold sores that's where that came from and so now with that understanding looking at the negotiations that occur within the BDSM community and how negotiations can be taught to youth from lessons of the bdsm community look at playing at recess and creating a game and there's rules that are negotiated there's boundaries like out of bounds or the rules to follow and these games are being played and negotiated throughout there's other people who are involved people can't wait to play like this same language used there We need, within any sport that you play, any game that you play, there are going to be boundaries, there's going to be consent, Uh, there's going to be uh, abuse, there's going to be fouls, there's going to be referees, there's going to be uh, regulations of the rules, there's going to be an out if you no longer want to play, there's going to be a team. There, there, There are all these elements here that I think are just completely omitted from sex education that youth can benefit from. If we have consent abiding, boundary upholding, uh, relationship intending youth, they're going to become those same things in their adulthood. So speaking to those non-sexual components of what sex is, uh, I'd like to know how did you find your way into... And understanding of those things because part of it was the communication yep. you disclosing your status to a partner and you you know having a whole conversation that's part of it so how did you begin to learn that you know aside from the YouTube videos like what what was your
1: practice like too? to trial and error you yeah. know uh, I remember so the first person I, I want to say the first. I, it's it's been a little while right but the first person I believe I disclosed to we dated for a year um and so that worked out really well uh it's you know i think it's important to build that intimacy as much as you can up front and not sexual intimacy but like with another person because then when you tell them um and it all depends on the person right there are people who no matter how close you are are gonna be assholes about it luckily i've never experienced that i've been with a lot of partners who've dealt with men who have been that way and i don't know if it's more men being that way or i just haven't interacted with a lot of females who are less accepting i you know i can't speak to that but um you know after that it's just having those conversations what what words work what words don't work um you know saying hsv1 versus starting with herpes right and you know what you're talking about earlier i still say hsv1 and there are people who are like wait what and i'm like herpes and they're like oh yeah i mean I, i heard of that, but I don't really know what it is. And you're, you're right. Like being at the age of 30, 31 and people still not understanding what this is, it's, it blows my mind. But then again, I've, I've pushed myself into this knowledge base. Right. Um, I was trying to think of her name earlier and, um, I think it's Lacey Green. She, uh, did a lot of like Uh, kind of sex-positive sex education YouTube videos. And this was one of the earliest ones I found. There's one that's called Herpes 101. I share that one a lot because it's like two minutes. It explains, you know, in kind of broad general sense, um, you know, about herpes and the different ways to catch it, the different types of herpes. So I really like that. And I've shared that with people who I'm just trying to get a knowledge base with early on. And I think that's been for me, um, I still share that video to this day. And I, I found that video 10, 15 years ago. Um, so that's been really great.
0: Um, I'd like for you to share that with me so I can put that in the show notes for this episode too, if you don't mind, appreciate it. Um, and you also said that you are a beginner in the kink and BDSM community. Are you open to talking a little bit about what that exploration has been like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it starts with, uh, I would say I'm a more reserved person in general. Um, I'm never going to think that I should choke someone during sex, right? But then the first time that someone says, hey, will you choke me? You're like, "I, yeah, I guess so. And then you're like, oh, actually that's kind of hot, right? And then it's like, well, choking someone actually really helps in the situation. Uh, and you become surprised how many people are actually into that, right? And so people, I think, who wouldn't necessarily define themselves as kink or BDSM-positive uh, would enjoy some of the things that are happening in that community right and the reason i like to say beginner or novice is i think in portland there is a very strong like community of kink and bdsm right like that's not me right i'm practicing kink and bdsm within my partner's limits um you know and having that discussion and using certain toys and talking about what i like and if I, if someone isn't into something that it, it becomes unsexy to me right like why would i want to convince someone or it's you know it's it's not consensual right at that point even if you're going to coerce them into it like that's don't do that um so it's really just finding the things that you both like um that may be a little bit uh more risque as a lot of people might think um that suit both your needs and i think that most people who have interacted with fall into some of those different areas that i really like mm. thank you for that explanation um
0: That ties very well into like the realm of sex positivity. So I have another hypothesis (laughs) and it's that people who have had an experience with an STI go on to have better sexual experiences. The in between of that is think about how, okay, now you've tested positive, we're talking herpes here. You received your herpes diagnosis. You had to educate yourself. You had to inform yourself. You had to learn how to not pass this on to partners. Along the way, you learned different ways of being safe. You learned different ways of communicating. You've also learned that there are other ways of having sex. We're talking about the kink and BDSM and, like, the communication. You shared, uh, you used the word intimacy. Intimacy not in the way of intercourse. We're talking about intimacy as far as connection with the person, having the potential vulnerability with the person, and then being able to go into discussions about, hey, can you choke me? Like, that is how we get to the space of having more pleasant, positive experiences. So I say all of that to say, like, I... Very much believe that our paths to the realm of sex positivity can be so much more shortcut if we find touch points, if we find and seek this information sooner, if we're made aware of it. Let me say that because I don't think that the word sex positive even crossed into my range of perspective up until maybe four, five years ago. And even with that word, I want to give the definition that I have here of what sex positive or what it means to be sex positive. Um, okay. Sex positive is, Oh nope, that's not where it is. I thought I put, okay, here we go. Sex positive by definition on Google, having or promoting an open, tolerant, or progressive attitude towards sex and sexuality, right? So that's the Webster Dictionary, and the more people that I talk to, the more evolving that definition is. So I want to ask you here, because a number of things are happening with Something Positive for Positive People, and I'm trying to keep things like streamlined so I'm not bouncing all over the place, but it's having this that thought process, that sex positivity, bringing that into our healthcare spaces. And our conversation here is hopefully opening up people's range of perspective to bringing that into um, their day to day lives so that they can begin to transition into sex positive spaces rather than herpes positive spaces, if that makes sense. So for you,
1: what does being sex positive mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think you were spot on earlier, right? Um, I think that I have forced myself, not forced myself, but accidentally moved myself into this space of sex positivity because I don't have sexual relations with anyone without having a conversation first. That was not something that I did, you know, earlier in my life, right? I am starting off our experience with a conversation, and I think that evolves over time into starting, you know, with I have herpes to what do you like, you know, what, you know, even before you get into stuff, you can obviously have those conversations, uh, mid sexual experience, but a lot of times it's better to have them beforehand. And I think that, you know, being open to different things that people think, or, um, you know, talking about right kink and BDSM beforehand, um, are really great. So it's just, I think it's, just having that conversation beforehand um which is not something that I, I would have had before and being open to people's experiences and their triggers and their likes and their dislikes yeah that's a good point
0: too you mentioned talking about it beforehand and i had an experience that comes to mind specifically with someone who i later learned the language being consensual non-consent and so like we're having sex and she tells me to stop i'm like all right i'll stop And then she's like, no way, why'd you stop? And that is a very uncomfortable position to be in because it happened like a few times. It's like, what? What is happening here? So in what I've learned through sex positivity is the importance of, you know, dialogue exchange about what sex looks like, about what people are into. And as things may come up like that, that may be foreign to someone, like how to handle it. And, you know, some people might be listening to this and like, oh, I'm not doing that for a hookup. Or if I just met this person, like, who's going to kill the mood by having that kind of a conversation? Like, If the mood can be killed, then the mood cannot, you can't have the peak experience that you might have with a person, like going into it, you know, under the assumption that this person knows what they're doing, they're coming into the, uh, into the interaction that you know what you're doing and that they know what they're doing. This can lead to an unpleasurable experience. And while, you know, it, it, sex positivity is being welcoming of all of this, but I want to encourage you, if you're someone who is not receptive to that communication or you have not been in the past or you've not been offered the opportunity to do so, start that. Like, start, you know, asking people, hey, you know, do you want this to be a one-time thing? Do you want this to be ongoing? You'd be surprised. Like, fucking somebody like you're never going to see them <laughs> again is that is a that is one level of extreme intense and then completely making love to somebody and hope that you'll see them again and falling in love is another end of the spectrum but also has that potential intensity there for it as well Um, we're getting to a point of wrapping this up ish so I guess I want to like lead into um just like I, I guess like anything that you would want to Add or share about your experiences that you think uh someone listening to this may find valuable. the communication piece yeah. has been awesome, like there's so much there uh that supports what I've already been saying on the podcast and your very presence here even and speaking to the things that you've spoken to and like allowed for me to sort of stretch and add my own experiences onto as well have been super supportive so um is there anything that you think is helpful to someone who's listening here who may like we may not have covered
1: yeah a couple things off the top of my head Um, one i wanted to follow up a little bit with what you were just saying is when you have that conversation with someone and they're on the same level of having that conversation the sex is always better it's a guarantee every time uh when you're kind of talking to like uh someone who doesn't understand or isn't familiar with that conversation it it definitely gets a little bit trickier but i just want to follow up with i i think if everyone's having that conversation and people learn to have that conversation, sex is going to be better overall. Um, the second thing I was kind of thinking that I think is really great to bring up is the number of times I've shared my positive stats with people and they're like, Oh yeah, me too. Surprises me to this day. Uh, it, it's crazy, right? You just, you don't realize me. Cause when you, when it first happens to you, you're in this hole of, I'm the only one, I'm shameful. What did I do to myself? And there's a lot of people who have the same situation as you do, and you know what is it like? One in five, one in six people. Yeah, yeah, right. One in six people. Yeah. Here's here's how
0: I remember it from 2013, 14 yeah. when I was diagnosed. One in six people have genital HSV two or oral HSV two. One in five have genital HSV two. One in four have genital hsv1 one in three have oral hsv1 and then it was like half the population has herpes it's basically what that diagram that i saw showed and that looks completely different today do not take my word for it y'all know i stay away from statistics altogether (laughs) so that that's what it was at that point in time
1: yeah so i mean that's crazy and then a lot of people who have it don't know they have it right so there's that whole other we don't need to get into that whole thing but there's that piece too. Um, and so that's been really cool. And then I think the last thing that, you know, I I just want to share. So for anyone who is recently positive or is kind of in that shame spiral or is newer to this, there's another side. I, I rarely think about my status anymore. Obviously it's always front of mind when, you know, having those sexual experiences and it's something that's changed me for the better, I think for today. But if you feel that way, if you feel depressed about it, if you feel sad about it, it it's temporary right? That this is not how you're going to live the rest of your life. You're going to learn about it. You're going to grow about it. And part, eventually it's not going to be you, but it's going to be part of you and you're going to accept it and you're going to be better for it. So I think that that's something that's really important to share is it that negativity within yourself. It, it's not forever.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing
1: that. Um,
0: what my big takeaway from this podcast episode is in terms of actionable items for me in order to better support our community is to begin to find a way for us to connect in a way that's not exclusively herpes. Because when we look at the herpes stigma, when we look at any STI stigma at all, the underlying thing there is sex. People get A cold people get COVID COVID has become significantly less stigmatized than a lot of other infections in such a short period of time like COVID was killing people is killing people and we got vaccines we have social distancing we wear our masks we do things outdoors we limit the capacity and people still get COVID and the conversation around it is still like oh my god like do you know where you got it from how'd you get it what were your symptoms oh my god like I was around that person too maybe I have it this these conversations have now been normalized over a period of two and a half years, two and a half years. It took two and a half years to normalize such a thing. And it's because of its exposure. Like it's not people with COVID only talking to people with COVID. It's not just people with vaccines talking to people with vaccines or not vaccines talking to people who are unvaccinated. It's everyone collectively bringing awareness to the fact that, okay, this is like um, it's inevitable that you're going to be exposed to COVID. Same thing with herpes. The only thing is, sex is not involved there. I mean, you can get COVID having sex <laughs> with somebody, right? But uh, one in wanting to destigmatize herpes, we have to destigmatize sex. So I encourage people to begin, rather than going into, "I need support for herpes." Look into what your relationship is with sex. What have your sexual relationships been with partners? What's your education been? Are you able to find spaces where you can learn about sex? I follow a lot of sex educators on social media. I support their content. um, And I'm also involved with the sex-positive world and sex-positive communities. Here in um, Oregon, there's a chapter of Sex Positive Portland. So there are spaces that we can connect and not be in a way that perpetuates stigma by trauma bonding, shame spiraling. Like, shame and stigma are all gonna show up in various ways, various communities, but I think that in being willing to extend ourselves into communities that are not exclusively focused on herpes, we inspire allyship that allyship is what 's going to not only get us out of our own comfort zone but also welcome people into the dis- into the discomfort that we experience so that they can empathize and have compassion and be more supportive so i I want to Take from our conversation here, Mark, uh, I'm going to take note to that and begin to work on something that will allow for people to have that shortcut into the realm of sex positivity that helps them not only have better sex, uh, better communication around sex, but also to see relationships differently see themselves differently and become more empowered in all of their connections with people with the world and more importantly how people relate to and connect with themselves so uh, i thank you i thank you for offering that in our exchange here yeah absolutely thank you courtney for having me yeah All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. As I mentioned, this podcast is the first of a 12-episode series where I'll be interviewing people in Oregon. If you're listening to this and you are in Oregon or you live in Oregon or you are... here for an extended period of time, and you have tested positive for an STI. It doesn't have to be herpes. It could be HIV. It could be HPV. You could have had chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, or trich, or uh, a hep- hepatitis. Hepatitis. C, I think that's the one. Um, Yeah, if you have an experience with any of these infections or you know someone who has and you are in the state of Oregon, please contact me. Um, I'm fulfilling the requirements for a grant that I received uh, for something positive for positive people to be able to do this and then compile the information and be able to show like, hey, We can do so much better with STD prevention efforts. This is equipping me with a cannon to take to the CDC and be like, hey, y'all tripping. So uh, if you want to support me, that is exactly how you can do so. Follow me on social media. I'm primarily active on Instagram at H on my chest, all one word. If you want to donate and support something positive for positive people, which I mean, the more funding we get, the less important donations become. (laughs) So uh, you can donate uh, via Venmo and Cash App at Courtney Brame, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y, B-R-A-M-E. And that's just my first and last name, no spaces, no special characters. I am the original. Don't send your money to one of those people that was trying to get me back in uh, August, 2021. All right. So um yeah, thank you all for your support. And until next time, stay sex positive.